Our text tonight is taken from Hebrews as we continue in our studies in Hebrews and it's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. Hebrews 11 verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled or compassed about for seven days. And that was of course what the Old Testament passage was uh, recording that I read to you earlier. Uh, you may have heard the Negro spiritual, Joshua fight the battle of Jericho, but of course that is rather a misleading spiritual because the whole point of Joshua 6 is that Joshua didn't fight the battle. Uh, although Joshua and his armies had mopping up work to do, basically the battle was fought by God. And that is exactly what Hebrews 11.30 is telling us. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Jericho was a major difficulty for the Israelites as they uh, progressed or started the progression, having crossed the River Jordan uh, and camped at Gilgal. It was right there in the way of their progress up into the country of Canaan as it was then, but it would become Israel. It was there as a massive obstacle uh, because walled cities were perhaps militarily speaking the last words in defense in those days. And although as we read in Joshua 6 verse 1, Jericho was securely shut up because the of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in, the siege was effective, the fact is that with the defenders inside, there was nothing to stop them at the moment that they considered right to uh, come out and to attack the rear guard of Israel if it proceeded up into the upper country. And being a, a defense city like this, it seemed unassailable. And yet, as we read, it was God who gave them the victory, causing the walls to fall down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, I want to look at this passage with this particular aspect in our minds that Jericho, in a sense, stands to us for major difficulties standing in the way of the advance of the kingdom of God. Uh, in every age, at every time, there have been different major difficulties standing in the way of God's kingdom. And I'm sure you can think of things, uh, I can think of things, uh, some of them perhaps short-lived, others much longer-lived. How are we to face these things? Are we to face it by political action? Are we to face these things by um, excitement and uh, are we to face them by just denying that they're in the way? No, none of these things. We have here a blueprint from God as to how we can do it. And basically, we look to God. But I want to just tease out some of the ingredients that are here in this approach that Joshua takes in this chapter, in this incident. Some of the things that characterize his handling of this. And the first is to go straight to our text and say clearly uh, faith was 
the prime thing required. Faith was the prime um, aspect. Uh, and it is for us, of course, when faced with difficulties. Uh, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Um, and we can think of various things that would have fed that faith of Joshua and through him of the people of Israel. Uh, the book of Joshua tells us in chapter 1 and verse 9, uh, we read of God's commission to Joshua, of what God said to Joshua. And within that chapter 1, there is a very encouraging statements made by God to Joshua but look at verse 9 have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go God you see is even before the battles ahead and before the conquest of the land God is encouraging Joshua to look to the fact that he is with him so that even when the land has been subdued and allotted, parceled out to the various tribes, Joshua can look back and say, not what a great job I have done in being such a great general here and commanding the armies so well, but rather he will look back and say, it was the Lord our God who was with us. It was God with us. And that, of course, is really at the heart of things and that is at the heart of how we should face difficulties and then in chapter 5 uh, before this particular uh, obstacle um, we see there's a particular manifestation of God's presence and power when the commander of the army of the Lord the captain of the hosts of the Lord appears visibly to Joshua and Joshua falls on his face and worships him. Now, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten, he has declared him. So we have here a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And um, before this glorious vision of Christ, Joshua falls on his face and worships. And notice the response, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the response is perhaps unexpected. He says, no. In other words, don't drag me down to the level of one country against another country, one army against another country. I have a different kingdom. I have a different set of priorities. And I'm not going to, to, to just speak in those kinds of terms of this matter it's my will that shall be done, and that's enough. And Joshua accepts that, and Joshua falls on his face and worships him. It's similar, is this appearance to the appearance of the Lord to Moses before he had a very difficult uh, task to do, which was to go and face Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and then to be the one announcing the various plagues, announcing the Passover and so on to Pharaoh but before all of that the Lord makes clear to Moses that he is with Moses so in Exodus chapter 3 there is that vision that appearance of the angel in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush the bush burning with the fire but the fire not consumed and again we understand this speaks to us of Christ 
uh, various aspects of that which we won't go into tonight which speak of Christ so the thought of God with us the thought of Christ with us and then just one other text uh, 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 19 referring to um, another battle situation uh, and Micaiah a prophet of the Lord uh, brings this prophecy to uh, the Israelites, to Ahab. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. So it's not just the Lord himself, but it's, holy, it's his holy angels bright. It's those hosts of unseen spirits at his disposal. And these are for us and with us, but only not as we not to be on our side, as it were, in some sort of parochial way, but we are to be on his side, and we are to be in reverent obedience to him. And what matters is that we do his will and that we trust in him. Someone has been. Uh, has said this walking by faith means being prepared to trust where we are not permitted to see and Joshua here uh, trusts that God is going to do his will God is going to give uh, whatever victory is required and that friends is really the, the heart of it by faith the walls of Jericho fell down so we don't look at the various obstacles whether it's the way in which laws are being passed against God's law or whether there's some particularly unpleasant manifestation of anti-Christian feeling and say well we're really up against it now what we do is we remember who is on the throne who is God and that he is with us he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him give us freely all things and it means walking by faith with him and that is how we are to surround the Jerichos or the Jericho that we may face the second thing we should note is the necessity of courage I think it really goes hand in hand with the first faith leads to courage because although Joshua and the Israelites are not going to be battling in the major sense. Of course, there's going to be the mopping up operation afterwards. But nonetheless, the whole enterprise is going to require great courage on their parts. Um, they're not to become uh, frightened, terrified, uh, anxious, fearful. Um, but they are to remember that that God, uh, if he is removing the difficulties, then they will be removed in one way or another. And it is reminded to us, and the New Testament really does underline this. We were looking this morning in Ephesians, and remember Ephesians, uh, you've got what it, what it is to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, what it means in terms of duties and so on, uh, and family life and in the workplace and you might have expected then Paul to just bring his letter to a conclusion with a, a final greeting but he doesn't he says there's one more thing you need to know finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might in other words 
Your basic attitude must not be the attitude that I'm a sick person, I'm a wounded person, I'm, I'm, I'm basically in a kind of hospital waiting room mode, to quote Dr. Lloyd-Jones as he preaches on that passage. But you are a warrior. You're in the army, the army of the Lord. Now that was precisely the attitude that the Israelites did not take when previously uh, they encountered the thought of Jericho. When Moses sent out the spies into Israel, into Canaan as it was then, uh, to go and scout out the land and the spies came back with a report uh, in Numbers 13 that the land is rich, that the land has got plenty of fruit, it's flowing with milk and honey, uh, and it's, it's a great place, and they brought back the clusters of grapes from Eshkol, huge grapes and pomegranates and figs and all of this. And they were true in their report as far as that went. But what they said next was true, but it was the way they said it. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And then they went on to say, uh, these people are giants. Uh, we were like grasshoppers in our sight, in their sight, and in our own sights. You can see that the perspective is this. It's, in a sense, it's all a true report. And yet it's from the perspective of, oh, I'm a poor, miserable, failing person. I'm a poor, miserable, failing, part of a poor, miserable, failing cause you know, the churches are dwindling. The work is so small. What can we do against all the enemies of the Lord and all the enemies of the gospel? And that's precisely how to lose the battle. Again, here, another quotation. Faith is the means by which the infinity of man lays hold on the infinity of God. And then Matthew Henry says this, nothing is more offensive to God than disbelief of his promise and despair of the performance of it because of some difficulties that can seem to lie in the way. Now we know the truth of that. You see, God takes us into situations where we have to apply the truth of that. By faith, they encircled the walls of Jericho and they fell down. And faith includes courage. Be of a good courage, my brother, my sister in Christ. See what the Lord says to Joshua. See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. So that's the second thing. The third thing we need to identify here in the people of God in this trial of faith is patience, patient endurance. And no doubt that's one of the reasons why the writer to the Hebrews uses this example in his Hebrews 11 exhortation because that's one of the things that the Christians of his day didn't have a vast amount of. They were finding it difficult to be patient, to persevere, to, to press on against all the discouragement. But here he takes an example of, which shows tremendous perseverance and patience. You know, day after day walking around the city just once, day after day, and then back into the camp, back into Gilgal at night. And as 
Someone has said, every night it might seem as though nothing has happened. You know, we've been doing these things for years, nothing has happened. Bishop Hall, an old commentator of a former age, said this, It must have been a strange sight. No mound was raised, no sword drawn, no engine, that he means, means siege engine, planted, no pioneers undermining. Here were armed men, Israelites, but no stroke given. They must walk and not fight. Doubtless the people of Jericho made themselves merry with the spectacle. That's how the world would see the Christian church, by and large. They make themselves merry with the spectacle of the Christian church. Uh, if it's a Bible-believing group of gathering around the preaching of the word of God, of praying, praying of all things, uh, and all this fellowship and all this talk of heaven and hell, and they make themselves merry with the spectacle if they give, give it a moment's thought. And so week after week, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, we're back in the camp, as it were. But you see, part of faith is perseverance. Part of faith is just pressing on and being strong and of a good courage and trusting God to bring the Jericho down in good time. Church history is full of such examples, and I'm not going to weary you with more examples, but that is part of uh, what is involved, that endurance. And then we have to just notice another thing. It, it comes out more in the next chapter, actually. It's integrity. Integrity. Uh, it comes out more because of what happens afterwards in the defeat at Ai. And we learn what is said in chapter 6 about not touching the accursed thing, that is not touching the silver and the gold and the other precious things that were devoted to God from Jericho, that that was not to be touched or used as booty, but it was for God. It was given to him, but we learn that Achan disobeyed that and he coveted and he took, uh, as, as we read later in chapter 7, I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them and he, there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. You see, it wasn't enough that, to say, well, I am a member of this army of Israel and I took part in the walk around the walls and I shouted the great shout. But there had to be integrity. And that is a key part of true faith because true faith purifies the hearts. True faith enables us to walk close to the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. That's perhaps the point we've just made. But now he says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. There's no hidden agenda here to do with money or sex or some other thing. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Here's this Jericho of Corinth. But he's not going to 
enter into the hidden things of shame that go on in Corinth in order to win them, in order to show he's a man just like they are. He's renounced that. And he's going to do something which is full of faith and full of courage. He's going to preach the gospel. He's going to handle the word of God in an open way. And he's going to commend himself not to their good opinion, but to their conscience. The truth, which is going to hurt them, and that may hurt him back. But he's certainly not going to fraternize with the enemy, nor lust after what they lust after. And that is part of the lesson of this passage. Faith, courage, patience, integrity. And then uh, we think, as we think a bit more of the detail, uh, another thing, the uh, right use of our weapons. Joshua is left in no doubt because the commander of the army of the Lord tells him in verses 3 to 5 exactly what he is to do. Um, He gives him instructions, detailed instructions, marching around the city, going all around the city once each day for six days. That's all they have to do. And as they go, the priests are to sound the trumpets. And then on the seventh day, it's different. They're to go around the city seven times and each And all the time, the priests are to blow their trumpets. And when they finish, the trumpet sound is to go on for longer. It's going to be a long blast with the ram's horn. And then when you hear the sound of the trumpet, you shout with a great shout. And there is just that other added thing in verse 10. Joshua had commanded the people saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. So six days of absolutely silent progressing round the walls. Once each day. With the priests ahead with their trumpets. And then the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The armed men of course going ahead of the priests. And then more armed people behind the rear guards. And then on the seventh day seven times round. And then the shout. What is the lesson here? Well, the lesson is that we are to use those weapons that God gives us, or those strategies, perhaps I should say, that God gives us, and only those. Joshua didn't have permission to do anything else with siege engines or undermining, burrowing under the walls or scaling the walls or sending in specially trained foot soldiers or anything like that. He had no permission to do any of that. He might have done that that in another situation, but not on this occasion. He had to use the strategy and the weapons that God gave him, which seemed ridiculous. Now, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 brings us really the lesson that comes in New Testament terms, the same lesson. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. He's speaking to people in an area, a church, where they're very tempted to use worldly weapons and worldly stratagems. But he says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty in God for putting down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That means to really track down sin and to, and to mortify sin. These are the weapons. And here we are in the encirclement of Jericho. It's a spiritual engagement, really, rather than a military engagement. In the minds of the Canaanites, it was a military engagement, and it seemed a crazy military engagement from their perspective, of course. But it, it was really a spiritual engagement. There were the, the, um, the sevens uh, of things, the seven priests, the seven trumpets, and then seven days, and then seven times on the seventh day, speaking of perfection, speaking of completeness, speaking of the fact that it is God's battle who is going to give the victory. There is the involvement very centrally of the ark, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the very presence of God, symbolizing the presence of God, of course, because he doesn't live in a box, he doesn't live in an ark, but uh, it symbolizes his presence with the mercy seat over the law of God, symbolizes the presence actually of Jesus Christ, who is our mercy seat, and is the one who has fulfilled the law perfectly and paid for its breaking by the blood sprinkled. So here's God's presence on the basis of a sacrifice, And the trumpets blowing speak to us in today's terms of proclamation, of preaching the gospel. And otherwise there is this deep silence which speaks of the fact that there is no carnal involvement here. There's just a reverent fear, the fear of God. It's God who's going to do this. It's God who's at work. And then the final shout, victory, of course, is of the Lord. And we can imagine that On the seventh day, perhaps some of the inhabitants, the besieged inhabitants, may just begin to have been a bit fearful. There's something here that we've never encountered. There's a sense of fear, perhaps. And then the shout, and then the walls come crumbling down, you see. That's because God has given the victory. That's because these weapons, under God, have caused the walls to fall. And that clearly was supernatural. It wasn't some sort of vibration effect. It was a supernatural bringing down of the walls. And here the Apostle Paul is saying this, our weapons are supernatural. They're not fleshly. They're not of this world. They're not the weapons of education or the weapons of societal um, influence. They're the weapons of, of God's. And what do these weapons do? Well, they bring into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. It's, it's reaching the minds of the people. It's reaching it with the truth of God and with the f- face of God in Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel of Christ. And the proud, the pride thoughts, the proud thoughts of man and the resistance of the mind to God. It crumbles when God is pleased to bless that weapon. Now, do you really believe that? Do we really believe that? 
that what will bring down the unbelief and the resistance and the antagonism is not because we are nice people, although we need to be nice people. It's not because we are respectable people. We should be respectable people. But what ultimately will bring down the resistance and the opposition and the obstacle will be the word of God. And that's what's going to crumble the unbelief. Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, we will use that weapon and we will continue uh, to, as it were, walk around the walls as long as it takes. We will continue to look to the presence and the power of God. We will continue to blow the gospel trumpet. We will continue to keep our mouths shut in the sense that the battle is the Lord. It isn't ours. We will continue to ask God to vindicate his name we will continue to look to Jesus Christ who is the king of angels we will walk by faith because we don't know exactly which Jericho God is going to bring down next but we know for sure that Jericho will fall we don't exactly know of course just what the strongholds are that have been particularly identified by God as being in the way of the advance of the kingdom. But God knows. We're just foot soldiers. We're just there to do what our commander-in-chief tells us. We don't know just what persons God is going to work in, but we know this, that when he works, it will be by the word of God. Let me remind you that this is how the kingdom goes forward in individual terms. The Apostle Peter says this, that uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Through the word of God. When will God quicken that word? And someone will be brought out of death into spiritual life. When will that particular Jericho crumble before us? And then we will have victory. We have to trust in our great commander-in-chief. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven years days perseverance faith courage and integrity God blesses his people and he blesses his own methods and right at the center of that group that walked round the wall was the ark the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in symbol of course in type but he was with them as Joshua had found to that encounter with the commander of the Lord of hosts. Let me just close by reading to you what it says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 22. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block 
and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the, what? Power of God. The power of God. And the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men.